Have you ever noticed how sometimes we can take blessings for granted? Like little things that, that we just don't even realize how great they are until we don't have them anymore. Like air condition in Texas in July. You don't, you don't think a lot, you just turn on the AC and that's that until it goes out. And then you're cursing, you're like, oh, and you go into a hotel and it's, it's, it's miserable because the AC went out. Or like for me in, in December when I lost my voice and like there's this rumor, I don't know where it came from, that I talk a lot. I don't know. It's this vicious thing, you know, it's just circling. And, but what I discovered in December when, when I couldn't talk, that I took my voice for granted, that I just literally took for granted that I could have a strong, yes, unusually accented, and yet strong voice. We can just take such little things for granted. And so I'll, I'll speak to the men for a minute. The fact that there is a woman that married you, like the fact that there's a woman that chooses to put up with you, to sleep with you, to wash your clothes, assuming that that happens in your home. I don't know who does the laundry, making assumptions here. But the fact that there is a woman who you didn't have to coerce, you didn't have to blackmail her, like she chose to live with you. That is a miracle. It is, it is a blessing from heaven and I mean that, and I'm not even really joking. It truly is a miracle to me. And it is a gift that we as husbands should not take for granted. Men, do not take your wives for granted. Any of us can fall into what I'm going to call blessings amnesia. We forget. We can get so caught up with life and demands and schedules and work and just the busyness that life brings us and comes at us so fast that we have this like remarkable way of forgetting all of the astonishing blessings that God just rains down every single day upon us. I think we can get not only blessings amnesia, but we can also get gospel Abnesia. We can forget the gospel. We can forget the good news of Jesus and what he did on the cross and how that is designed to impact our lives. We can forget how loved we are and the purpose that we have in Christ and how only Jesus satisfies. We forget. We get blessings and also gospel amnesia. And the call for us as believers is to remember, remember who God is. Remember what he has done to rescue you. Remember who you are in Christ. Don't forget who God is or his purpose for you. Remember that you have been set free from sin, that you are free at last. That is the theme of the book of Galatians that we've been studying. And we have to remember and not forget these incredible blessings that God has given to us that we've been studying for the last few weeks in Galatians. So today we're going to dig into Galatians 3, verse 26, through chapter 4, verse 7. That's a unit at the end of chapter 3 and the first paragraph of chapter 
four. So as we continue in this series in Galatians, today we're, we're considering how we have been set free as sons and daughters. Let's read this first section, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let me give you the main idea here from this section of Scripture. Is that having faith in Jesus means that you are adopted into the family of God. So when you put your faith, your complete trust in Jesus, and you experience his salvation, you receive his spirit, what happens in this incredibly stunning thing called salvation, you are adopted into the family of God. So if, if you've been in church for a long time, then this is not exactly a new message for you. Like, you've heard this before, that you are the child of God. And so maybe you're thinking, oh, I already know this one. Maybe you do. But maybe you've taken it for granted. Maybe you have subtly forgotten or you're not really internalizing or living out your identity or really living in the truth of what it means and the profound significance that you are adopted into the family of God. This is a wondrous truth that affects everything about how you feel. It affects how you think. It affects your desires. It affects how you handle disappointments. It affects what you say, so how you speak to people. It affects the things that you do, how you spend your money, what you value. Everything about who you are is going to be impacted by what you truly believe about this text. Is it true that you are a child of God? If that is true, then that will dramatically impact what our lives look like. And if we get gospel amnesia, we forget or live like practical atheists where we believe it, but really it doesn't impact our lives, then we need to come right back and ask the Spirit of God to give us a fresh word from the Bible. May he speak into us. May he breathe his truth into us. And may this be a transforming, holy moment for you. Galatians 3, 26 and 29 that we just read, do you realize that you're going to be experiencing these verses for all of eternity? That this defines your eternal state. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ, then you are heirs according to promise. You have an eternal Glorious inheritance waiting for you. And so what we're going through today is so small and such a light and momentary affliction in the light of 
his glory in light of what awaits the believer in Jesus. God's plan for all of eternity has always been and always will be wrapped up, if you want to look at it in this text, in one word, God's entire plan is adoption. Everything that he's been doing from the garden all the way through today and into the future and eternity future, all of it is about a father who loves his sons and daughters and yearns to be close to them. And these sons and daughters were ripped away from him because of sin, and they left the garden. They left his presence. And so now the father no longer has his sons and daughters near, and he is yearning to have them close to his heart. And so he put in motion the plan of redemption so that we can then once again be brought back into his presence and be adopted into his family God's purpose for you is adoption. It's why you're alive. It's why he sent Jesus. We are children of the living God, of the resurrected Messiah. Let's dig into these verses and see this. Where I'm not just talking about it, where you can see it from the text. And let me give you three truths from this text that describes what it really means that you are adopted by God. Better understand this eternal truth that we get to experience. And so three truths. So number one, if you are an adopted son or daughter of God, number one, it means that you are in Christ. That's what you see repeated over and over in these three verses. Verse 26. Here, let's just read that again so that we're reminded of how often This phrase comes up, for in Christ, there it is, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into, so first it says you're in Christ, and the next verse, you baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So there's no distinction, there's no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no no male nor female. And it says, for you are all one in Christ. So he says it in verse 26, In Christ. He says in verse 27, baptized into Christ. Verse 28, he says that you are one in Christ. And in verse 29, he says that if you are Christ's, then you are heirs to the promise. So there's this repetition. And when the Bible repeats itself, we should be listening because God is trying to communicate something to us, which is why in all of our home groups, we have a Bible study that's based on the sermon where we go deeper and we study it together in our home groups because we want to learn how to better study and understand the Bible and feed our souls from the Word. Verse 26 does not say that you are a son of God in a general or like in a generic way. It doesn't say, oh, because you're a human and because God made you, then that means that you are a child of God. That's not what it says. Now, I've heard that said out in the world that we're all children of God. And there is a sense in which there's some truth to that because God is the creator. But that is not what the Bible is teaching here. It says that you are a a son of God through faith. So what that means is there are some people that know God as father, and there are those who do not know God in an intimate way as their father. They have not been adopted into his family, and the path into 
the family of God, it says it's through faith. So when you have someone who is spiritually lost and spiritually dead, and that person hears the good news of Jesus, they hear that they are sinners, but that God loves them, and Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, and they believe that. In that moment, what just happened is the Spirit of God did what is called regenerate. He has brought that person from death to life and taken away the spiritual blindness where they now see the glory of God. They recognize their sin, and then they respond with faith, saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for me. And in that moment, what just happened with this person that was brought to life, they received the Holy Spirit. We'll read that in a few verses in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. What happens is they receive the Holy Spirit, and then they can feel the love of God. And all of a sudden, that person now has been adopted into the family. And for the first time, now they know God as Father. And they love him. Whereas moments earlier, they didn't. And now they do. It's the power of the Spirit and making us new. The new birth, being born again of the Spirit, leads us to be adopted to know God as Father. Verse 27 describes the public demonstration that someone belongs to the family of God that they have faith in Jesus, he describes baptism. And so that is that, that picture of baptism. And then verse 26, it says that you are sons. This is important. It doesn't say you will be sons or if you work hard enough, if you are religious enough, if you go to church enough, if you give enough money, if you turn over a new leaf enough times morally in your own effort. It doesn't say any of that. It says you right now through your faith, you are a son of God. It doesn't say you can hope to achieve it or earn it. It says right now, because of your faith, what Jesus did for you, you are a son, a daughter of God. And the language here, it's, it's pretty profound it says that we are, it describes putting on Christ. In verse 27, it says, we have put on Christ. And so what does this mean that we are in Christ and put on Christ, all of this language? This is describing when a believer comes to faith and they receive the Holy Spirit. What happens is, and the, now there's a mystery here. So let's just be clear. I can try to explain it, but there's mystery here. But our human spirit and the Holy Spirit, it says, become one. We're one in Christ. We're in Christ. And so this is describing the union, how we are united to Jesus through his spirit. And so now he is in us and with us. And this is not anything that you can see under a microscope. This is not anything that you'd be able to find if you did an autopsy. You, you, won't, you will not find this. This is spiritual. But as human beings, we are not just machines. We are not just flesh and bone. We are spiritual beings. 
we're a holistic, what you might, if you want to use big words, a psychosomatic union. Psycho for mind, soma means body in, in the Greek, and so psychosomatic, and so mind-body union. That's what we are. And it is mysterious, but it's real. And if you're a believer, then you know what I'm talking about. You feel the Spirit in you. You know when he's speaking to you. He convicts you of your sin. You hear what's called his still, small voice. Like There is union with God. We're in Christ. And he says that you put on Christ. Like The language here is fascinating. It's like Jesus is clothing. It's like putting on like a jacket or, or a shirt. So it says we have put on Christ. And so you think, well, what does this mean that we are that we wear Jesus. Well, think back to the garden. God, from the very beginning, has been dressing his children. When his children rebelled and descended into sin, you had the first sacrifice, where God killed an animal to cover up their nakedness. In the Hebrew, that means shame. So naked and shame is the It's the exact same word, which is why to this day, people in the Middle Eastern context who have the same uh, culture and Hebrew and even Arabic are cousin languages or various languages, and so this idea of being covered up, and so they're always covered, and I lived there for years, and so I saw this firsthand. They're always covered because it's shameful to show your nakedness because it's the same word. So this idea that... Adam and Eve shamed themselves, were in shame, and God covered it. He covered their shame, covered their nakedness. And, and then you see this throughout the whole Old Testament, this emphasis on even the priests who would wear specific clothing that would demonstrate that they're set apart and holy for God. And then in the New Testament, we are called priests. And then if you fast forward to the very end, what you have is we're going to be wearing white Robes signifying purity and holiness. And so from the beginning to the end, there's this theme that is woven of, of clothing. This is why modesty is important for us. Because it says something about what we believe about Jesus. So our clothing matters, but spiritually we are clothed. We put on Christ. This is describing something deeply spiritual with this union and how the blood of Jesus covers us and makes us clean. And so if I can just give you a a few thoughts on what putting on Jesus means, that means that your identity is in Christ. It means that you are defined by Jesus. What, What this means is that our enemy is going to attack you with false identity. And get you to believe things that are not true about yourself. Things like you're worthless. Things like you're just not good enough. These lies. If you failed, God can never use you anymore. You're damaged goods. These lies that the enemy says into our ear that we hear deep in our minds and our souls our false identities, our true identities, who we are in Christ. 
it also means that we are to imitate Christ. And so we, are, we have our identities in Christ, but we also imitate Christ. And so we have a relationship with God. And we're literally following the example of Jesus and knowing that we belong to him. And so we, we imitate him. So this concept of, of being clothed with Jesus is that we, like, we dress like him, that we look like him. And so we imitate Christ, but we're also intimate with Christ. We walk closely with him. So this is what it means to put on Jesus. And this goes beyond following religious checklists. This is about love. Being in Christ is about enjoying the very presence of Jesus because he is in you and with you. So if you are an adopted son or daughter of God, then you are one in Christ. Number two, you are one with the people of Christ. So yes, you're in Christ, but you're also one in union with the people of Christ. So verse 28, it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We are one. And so on May 26th will be my two sons' gotcha day. If you don't know, I have twin boys we adopted from Ethiopia while we lived in Abu Dhabi, and it'll be five years. They're six years old now, so if you see two little kindergartners running around going crazy, those are probably my sons. When I met them, and they were, at the time they were four months old in an orphanage in Addis Ababa, they had names given to them by, by the nannies of that orphanage, but these two boys' last names was Kebeteske, which is the name of the orphanage. They didn't have a name. They didn't belong to any family. They were alone in this world with no father or mother and no family and no family name. And What's so amazing is a year after that, when, that, when we went back and we went before a judge and they were declared to be my sons and I signed that new birth certificate that had my name on it and Bonnie's name on it, now it read Nathaniel Levant and Benjamin Levant. They now had a family. Now they had people that they belonged to. They were no longer alone in this world. Now they're loved, and they have a father and a mother. But beyond that, they also inherited Josh and Abby, my two older biological children, by being adopted. Now, yes, they had a new name, new identity, but they also had siblings. And so what we share in Christ is that we are one. We are part of the same people, the people of Jesus. And we share the same Father who has adopted us into his family. So that makes you my brother and my sister. And I love you. I love you too, Pam. You are a gift I don't know all of you yet. Some of you are not members of this faith family, but those of you that I have 
the privilege of knowing and sharing my life with, I can genuinely say that I have deep affections for you. And you're my brother, you're my sister, and we are all one in Christ. We have, we're part of the same family. And so we have been set free as sons and daughters of God. And it should leave us just humbled and in awe. And belonging to the family of God means that through his spirit we can overcome division and if, and if there's someone in this room that, that you've been gossiping about or that you're mad at or has offended you or ruffled your feathers or that you're not right with, then we've got to this week figure it out and resolve it. Because we cannot allow division or gossip or slander or getting crossways to remain because we are a family. We've been adopted by the king and we have a purpose and we live it out together. Jesus did not die just for you. He died for his people of all nations and tribes and tongues. It is about the glory of God in redeeming a people for himself. We are all one in Christ. He died for his people. And we can overcome, it describes three barriers. One, cultural barriers. It says Jews and Greeks, culturally, ethnically, are very different. But it says we're one. And so we can overcome our cultural or ethnic differences. And we want to welcome people from all ethnicities. And I pray that this church could reflect her community and have far more diversity than we have thus far. I pray, secondly, we will overcome class barriers. It says that there's no free nor slave. Those are different classes. And there's classes today in America, in Central Texas. And so many churches, if you're not of the right skin color or socioeconomic standing or educational level, then yeah, you're kind of welcome, but not really. May that never be true of Renew Church. May we overcome these class distinctions. And whether you work in the hospital because you're the administrator or a doctor or a janitor, there is no difference. We're one in Christ. We're one. We overcome cultural and class barriers. We overcome gender barriers. It says, no male, no female. That does not matter. That does not define your role in the church exclusively. We are a, a church that is what you might call complementarian. If you're like, what does that mean? Don't worry about it. But it, bottom line, all that means is that we believe that males and females have different roles but complement one another. And so we will not have female elders at Renewal Church. But outside of that... Pastors and elders, we have so many women that lead in this church. And without our amazing, faithful women of God, like this church could, we don't have been planted, much less function. And so we respect men and women. And what I love is in the ancient world, women could not buy property. Women could not receive an inheritance. Women were not respected. Women could not sign legal documents. And yet, what it says in the text is that we are all co-heirs with Christ. Daughters, right next to 
the son's heirs in Christ, raising the value of our sisters. No church gets it all right. We all have areas to grow, and this church is no exception. And yet, we're a church that deeply desires to have unity because it is a display of the glory of God. And so we are all, as sons and daughters, one in Christ, and we are all one as the people of Christ. Number three, if you're adopted son or daughter of God, then you are an heir with Christ. This is who you are. You're an heir. For verse 29 says, if you are Christ's, it says, then you are heirs according to promise. But here's what he says. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so what does, what does that refer to? Well, God promised to bless all the nations of the world through a descendant, a offspring, or a seed, in some translations, of Abraham. And it says that Jesus is a fulfillment of that. And so it is all through Jesus. So God promised through Jesus to be a blessing. So through Jesus, God is sending. So God's blessings flow through Jesus to all people groups, all nations of the world. It's all about being one in Christ and then one in the body of Christ. So if you have faith in Jesus, then you are a recipient of the blessings and the promises that were made to Abraham. And we're all, as it says here, co-heirs in Christ. This is so important because we live in a world that can at times be so harsh. The messages to men is just so hard. We're told if you don't make enough money, you're not enough. If, if you're not muscular enough, if you don't look like the guy who played Aquaman, I don't know what his name is. If you don't look like that, then you're not enough. If you're not super strong, but also somehow in touch with your feminine side, or however that's described, you're not enough. And we, we get chipped at. And as men, we get beaten up every single day on you're not enough. You don't measure up. But what you have to know is that in Christ, you are enough. You're enough. You don't have to look like anyone else. You don't have to perform in any way. You have to just trust your God. Know that you are loved. Who you are as a man is enough. And for our sisters, it's no different. You're beaten up, and, and it's the same thing for you. Oh, you're not beautiful enough, or you're not sexy enough, or you're, you don't do enough, or you don't whatever enough. And as women, you can get beaten up just as bad as a man can. And you have to know this today in the authority of God's word that you, sister, are enough. What you look like and what your gifts are. And what you're calling is who you are in Christ is enough. If we don't believe this, what will happen is not if, but when you have a bad day. When you slip up or fail, you're going to go into despair, into deep anxiety or depression or self-hatred. I know because I've been there. So what you need to know 
is who you are in Christ. That you are loved. And you don't have to do anything other than just know that you are loved by your Father. You are enough. You are adopted into his family. And that is great privilege and honor. Let's continue reading in chapter 4. It's the same thing. It gives an illustration. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, when God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. This is an incredible paragraph, and I only have a few minutes to unpack it for you and show how it connects with the previous section that we've been talking about for the last few minutes. This paragraph is connected to and it flows from the end of chapter 3. It's just an illustration of what it means that when you have faith in Jesus, that you then become an adopted member of his family. Verses 1 and 2 Talk about a son who is the rightful heir, who's going to inherit the entire estate, but until he is an adult and is reliable and trustworthy, usually till around age 25, but that could vary, but until he was a mature enough adult man, he was under his guardians or managers, and so under a custodian where he was not allowed to make his own decisions or spend the money or blow the money. And so, so there were managers that were overseeing him. Now, he may have had other slaves or servants that lived in the same household, and they were all being taught together. And even though they were all hanging out together, one of these guys was one day going to own everything. And even then, he already did own it all, but he just, he just wasn't ready yet to step into his identity to actually rule over the estate. So he was under, says, guardians or managers. So the idea here is that one day when his father said, it's time, he would then be able to live out his true identity as the heir of the estate. And so this is a picture of what salvation is. He's illustrating salvation for us, that when we were lost in our sin, the word, the Bible, the law served as a guardian that was designed there to be good for us and to help us to know God's will. But the problem is that we yet didn't, hadn't been born again, hadn't had the appointed dates as describing here, where we could then really become who we're supposed to be and have the Spirit in us. And so here's the idea. This is describing of a person who is oppressed by God's demands in the Bible, but who doesn't yet have the power to actually do it. 
And when you are asked to do something, but then you don't have the actual power to do it, you're going to feel trapped, enslaved. And that is a sense in which here, someone that reads a Bible and knows, oh, here's what I'm supposed to be doing, and yet they don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have the power to do it, because we cannot obey God until he gives us a new heart that desires him, then we have the strength through his spirit to obey. That was last week's sermon on we're set free to want obedience. It's the same theme that's continuing here now in this section. And so if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit and they read the law, it's going to feel like a taskmaster It's going to feel like an oppressive teacher or ruler, and you're going to respond with either rebelling, complete rebellion against that instruction, or you're going to try to keep it in your own strength. Either way, whether you rebel or try in your own strength to keep it, the result is the same. The letter of the law kills. It will leave you enslaved. We have freedom in Christ, and through his spirit, we then have the power and the desire to actually obey. This is so critical for us to understand. The, the idea here in these verses following is that he sent his son, he says, to redeem us or under the law that we would receive adoption as sons. I want you to picture, I know this is very hard for us, but try to picture Roman world slave market. Because that's the picture here. You have people that would go to this market, and upon the stage, you would have human beings that were in chains and were slaves. And you stand, you can say, okay, I pick that one. I, I, I want that one right there to be my slave. And you would go pay the redemption price That's the price of the slaves. And you would go pay that money, and you would buy that human to then be your slave. Or if you didn't want that person to be your slave, you can then go pay the redemption price and then say, I am signing off, and I'm going to set this person free. I'm buying their freedom. I'm paying the redemption price so that they can go be free. And the picture here is that you and I were up on this platform at the slave market. And God the Father says, I want him and her and him. And he picked you. And he paid the redemption price, which was the price was the blood of his son. And then he not only set you free, but he adopted you and brought you home to the palace, that this is your home now. This is where you belong. Son, daughter, I love you. Enter into my joy. Salvation is a coming home. Coming home to God. Coming home into his kingdom, to his palace, into his presence, where we have been set free from our slavery. Because Jesus paid the redemption price. And then it says that we received the Spirit, which allows us to feel this. 
So what Jesus did is he paid the price. What the Father did was he sent the Son. And then the Spirit allows us to feel that love. And so you see the Trinity involved in salvation. So we have a Trinitarian salvation. All three members partaking in these verses, you see it, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all involved in our salvation. And it's a legal status. We have to remember who we are in Christ. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am a child of God. We don't just sing this. We believe it. It's not as though you're in a prison cell with chains on. Those chains have been broken and have fallen off. They're at your feet. They're broken. And the prison cell door is wide open. You can walk right out. You are not enslaved anymore. The price has been paid. You are set free as a son and a daughter. And so you are not enslaved to your sin. You're not enslaved to your, your past failures. You're not enslaved to your performance. You're not enslaved to depression. You're not enslaved to anger. You're not enslaved to pornography. You're not enslaved to fear. You're not enslaved to anxiety. You are no longer a slave. You are set free and you belong to the Father. Ephesians 1, and we'll close with this, verses 4 through 6. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose you and loved you in eternity past. He sent Jesus. He loves you now, and he will love you into eternity future. What you have is an eternal love. Knowing this, believing this is what sets us free as we walk in the Spirit, as we enjoy the presence of God. What this does is he allows us to walk in his freedom and his love. Man, I pray that his love wrecks you that you feel his love, and that it will just ruin you for any other love, that nothing else will satisfy you, that you would just simply hunger and crave for more of Jesus. I pray that you would believe these truths of being adopted, that you would think on them, that they would transform you, and may we walk in them. We are set free as sons daughter.